Hello and welcome to the ARC Audiobook Club. I'm your host today, Macon Holtz. We're trying something new here on the podcast where each month one of us, Gio, Sarah or myself, pick a book for the others to read. This month's my turn and we have Tom McCarthy's most recent novel, a Kafkaesque tale of a corporate anthropologist named Yu becoming enamoured with the aesthetics of oil spills, skydiving accidents and buffering while failing at the impossible task to produce the grand anthropological report of our times for his employer. The book is called Satin Island. It's a dense book. It inspires intrigue and animosity. It's full of strange insights about our absurd present, but written with a cold tone that suggests an ambivalence about the impending collapse. Indeed, this book reads at times like a plea for us to all just relax and enjoy the shiny new colour of our oil-covered pelicans. And with me to discuss the book are, of course, Sarah Omini. Hi. Giovanna Alessandro. Hello. And special guest, the uh, host of the ARC Audio Review and Enfant Terrible of Nordic Podcasting, Stoy Waffenhaus. Hey. That's how I pronounce your name. Yeah, you do um, an okay job. <laughs> so, um, the front cover of this book says that this novel, or at least Tom McCarthy as a presence in the literary scene, is a Kafka for the Google age. Who wants to take an opinion on that one? But doesn't it seem like that's a quote that's sort of inflated? Because on Tao Lin's books, it says something like, uh, maybe Kafka as well for the iPod generation mm. or something like that. Just yeah, the iPhone generation. For yeah, the yeah. iPhone generation, right. So that's... That will get your attention. <laughs> but there's a difference. That's for a specific generation. This is for our age, which uh, is transgenerational in a way. Mm. But then is it good or is it bad that it's a Kafka for the Google age? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I kind of get what they're getting at mm. in the way that there's not really a resolution to anything. And uh, the character you goes on all these different tangents, but kind of nothing leads mm. to anything real. He starts a project and abandons it, goes on to the next one, and it happens over and over again. And like the opening scene of the book, he's just stuck in this loop with uh, news going on the screen. There's some rollerblading, or mm. no, some kids walking around and tripping all over. And it's just, so in that sense, you're stuck in the Google age, kind of like Kafka's characters. And the fact that he's called you is yeah. <laughs> really on the nose. This is... This is this is the Kafka character K. This is yeah. Um, but then doesn't it also read a little bit like a lifted finger when he's called you? And I'm like supposed to identify with him all the time. <laughs> yeah, I don't get shit done. Blah blah blah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, maybe that's the case. Like it's it's a it's a sort of like a a thumbs nose to the thing, but also yeah, that's I think maybe the weakest part of that letter choice. Mm-hmm. I would have chosen a different letter because mm-hmm. just so you get the Kafka thing without having to get the <clears throat> you is you thing mm-hmm. because that would probably come across from like, you know, the the buffering, the inability to get the grand project done. All these kinds of things would have uh, probably carried it on its own. But I think what I what I was wondering with this Kafka quote, quote and the kind of inflated, this is the attention grabbing, this is also the Telegraph who I think overly identify with this book in some ways. Um <laughs> Then I read this very ambivalent kind of uh, Guardian review, and I thought, for all the smugness I thought might have been in the Tom McCarthy book, this review's way worse. <laughs> it, was, it, was like, it was just... Anyway. Um, <laughs> it's I, like the book. Just, <laughs> you're becoming the book, Megan. I've just been, I've just been like, just so disillusioned with recent Guardian reviews, thinking, well, you, well done, guys. Yeah, well, where I actually thought, um, in some ways, I thought that 
You mentioned being encouraged to think that the main character's thread was the the Kafkaesque story, but I kind of th- I kind of thought it was really more um, Madison's story that was more Kafkaesque. It had that greater level of intense absurdity and needless suffering, and whereas I thought the other guy was just you know a lot very laurels resting, which is not something that Kafka protagonists do. They tend to uh, be in dire straits all the way through. Yeah, no, I agree. Um... And you don't really, I, I didn't think of it as a very Kafkaesque book because you hardly hear anything about medicine um, mm. until the end. And so I didn't, I understood, I got, I got the Google part of the quote, but the Kafka thing I didn't yeah. think was. Okay, so what I think um, interests me most about this book is it the way it's like dealing with this kind of conundrum of um, living in an age of information and talking about this, this problem that everything's already written down. And the the previ- previous ages, it was the job of writers and researchers to find things out and to be able to like describe them out in a way which is trans- as, as a kind of transferable knowledge. But now that's all being documented with every keystroke being recorded somewhere and the, and, and, and the CCTV everywhere and financial data being transferred around the world all the time. Everything is being documented apart from the inner life, which is kind of missing from this book as well. Um, but I liked the way that it was talking about this move to um, to needing to create constellations of this stuff. I think that's what I think is the like, it's the how you tease out the narrative thread, which is also what he thought his role as a corporate anthropologist was as well. Yeah, he kind of like gives up and find in a way when he says like it's already all been written down. The great report is taking shape. It is this accumulation of data. Mm. And the only way to interpret it or make any sense of it is for another bigger computer to take it on, uh, take it in and organize it in a way because we can never do it ourselves. There's no mm. there's no one fit. We don't have a Leibniz anymore. <laughs> yeah. Which comes up. I'm sensing profound ambivalence, ambivalence on the other side of the room. And I'd like to maybe <laughs> tease some of that out. Ask us some leading questions. Um, okay. So, Gio, the other day you were saying this is kind of a, <laughs> kind of a, a, a macho book, and I wanted to, want to know what you mean by that. Did I say macho or did I say, like, pond on testosterone? Because that's what I felt it was <laughs> in a lot of ways. Uh, like Claire Louise Bennett's pond that we had um, mm. on this audio book club a couple of months ago. I felt that it was like her, but on testosterone. Because she goes around, she does nothing, and she just writes about what she sees in her daily life. And he does the same thing. And I, I, I tried to categorize it because I had to read it in one way to like being mm. able to say something about it, to criticize mm. it in any way. And then I tried like, okay, definitely this guy is an unreliable narrator. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to read it as such so I can say something about that. And as that, it's just not very interesting. And it's I don't think it's very well made. Um, and it's like the whole book is playing it too safe to go too much into any direction. Uh, And as such, it never, to me, really becomes anything. Um, And I can see, well, like reading this book is like looking at 20 TV screens at once, which is sort of what he does as Mm. well. Uh, But there's never really any information. There's just like a lot of Mm. something. Um, Mm. And I can also see that. Like, yes, that's probably like a general trait for our time. Um, and he's also in that way being robbed of his time. Like we maybe are um, being robbed of our time by this constant news flow and things that mm. like we have to look at and Facebook and blah, 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 blah. 
And I felt like I can see sort of what he tries to do. I only read the book once, mm. um, but I didn't think that it was very well made. I didn't think it was very interesting how he wrote it. I didn't think the sentences were that good as I was talking to Sarah about and that what she told me. And I think that was a great uh, way to say, like he has one proto sentence and that's sort of like how he does. Mm. Um And that proto-sentence is just not very good. Um, and then the macho is also like, so there are sex scenes, or not like mm. explicit sex scenes, but we learn that he has sex. Mm. And I always think like, why is this even there? Mm. Except to tell us of your great potency. Um, and that way, like he's sort of a caricature, uh, the narrator, and like very masculine and very full of himself in some ways, um, and very like his own little island and his own ego. And... But even as that, it never becomes funny or endearing or anything like, for example, the narrator leaving, leaving the Atoja station, like he's doing all these things mm. and he's doing it in a way that is also a pleasure to read. Um, and this just wasn't, at least not to me. Yep. I, I, I totally agree with you on the, on the sex scenes because like it's it's almost like he was, you can imagine him going like, well, I don't want it to be ambiguous about whether or not I had sex. But I don't want to like commit to any emotions mm. or sensations. And as such, I felt this mm. like ridiculousness to the entire book and yeah. to him, which could be a good thing uh, because it's definitely there. But the way it was performed was mm. just like, eh. it didn't seem purposeful, his ridiculousness to me. Like, I started to think it did <laughs> because I thought like his ridiculousness was like taking on the task of writing the grand report yeah, no, and th thinking he could yeah. and at every stage finding out he can't. <laughs> I felt him to be ridiculous uh, in every way, but I, I didn't feel like that was intentional. Mm. That might have been me reading into the writer's intentions. But I also feel like the character is really nothing. He has no emotions, no drive, really. He's just like tasked. He gets this nice job, write the great report, and then he just sits around and follows whatever takes his fancy. It's not like yeah. really intent on anything. He kind of reminds me actually of like Miami pure social science academics who have no politics at all but are just really interested in the field of researching societies and cultures and they're just remarkably blank so he was just he's just fascinated with the whole um idea of being able to be doing an anthropological study of contemporary culture with no real dream for it to go in any sort of direction just to be able to like imprint it on himself which i guess was why he feels so insufficient in an age of like computer stuff But it's weird that you say that he feels insufficient because that that for me is what made him unreliable because in the beginning he was very sort of incredibly full of himself and oh. kind of had delusions of grandeur. He doesn't feel insufficient. I can tell he's oh, insufficient. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I think I think he's written as deluded into thinking he's sufficient. But it's like, you know, he's talking about selling the idea of the fold from Deleuze it to the to the jeans company and just had to take all the revolutionary crap out and you had to take all the stuff out of Badu as well because he's practically a Maoist and you don't want to sell that stuff. And that's another thing we learn uh, of the narrator, that he has all these references mm. of, uh, of theory. And I was like, okay, yes, let's see what mm. happens. But he doesn't really do anything with it. And... He does some stuff with it, but he doesn't do it with it directly. It starts to fold in more later on. I think on. he does it very directly. No, he does it very directly when those when you see the names, but I think at other times you've... No, I, yeah. I think that's what irritated me the most, is that he stays... I think he gets to flaunt this sort of avant-garde-ish, uh, breaking new way for the British novel. Mm. Um, but at the same time, he does it in a very safe way. Like, he'll, he'll reference all these things and be sure that you get all the names and you get all mm. the references, and he won't let anything be 
he won't he he lets the narrative stay sort of inconclusive but like all the references that he packs in there he makes sure that he uses them again and that it all ties in neatly and it's i think it was too neat for me yeah um and that way he reminded me of like a 20 year old dude who just started out at university and learned like three things and now yeah. he's like flashing his knowledge but it i think that's why it didn't work for me the character like he didn't seem ridiculous enough for me because i actually know a lot of men like this um, he was very realistic to me like, I, I also think I know a lot of people yeah. like I feel it's a bit yeah it's just name dropping in a way like oh look at how clever I am I can take uh, Deleuze and talk about uh, creases and jeans and produce mm-hmm. a narrative for a company and they'll use it to sell jeans it's also takes kind of a cynical stance towards it it's just like yeah. I've got this talent I can do this mm-hmm. but I didn't I never got the kind of idea that he really likes his job rather than anything else you don't get any feeling it's just something mm. that he does mm. and like you say he's trying to like bring all these threads together it's just mm. whatever comes on the news there's an oil spill and then he follows that for a while and then he reads something about a parachutist and then he's i think he's constantly receiving in a way and then just does a clever name drop and ties it in with some theory it doesn't really matter what it is takes out all the political he doesn't commit to anything really I feel. Yeah, I feel like but I feel like he's like pure I th- he reminds me a lot of like a Don DeLillo character who's just kind of floating in reality. He's not it's not he's not like displeased or pleased with his job. He is of the awareness that he has to be at a job, he may as well get well paid, he has these skills that allow him to be paid. He's like he's entirely given up in lots of ways, which is but then I as he says, and this is not an untrue thing, the majority of anthropologists work, work in the private sector, the majority of science scientists work in the private sector. People use this, like there's knowledge has migrated to this space of intention and control, which is not pursuing the actual not production of knowledge in a traditional way or in a, in a disinterested way. Um, and he's just kind of acquiesced to it, which is why Thomas Valden Alzheimer does not like him. I'm going to read a quote. Does, does Thomas Alzheimer not like him? Thomas Alzheimer does not like him, as I found out perusing the man's Facebook. With, he had a preponderance of images of Tom McCarthy. And uh, to quote one of the remarks he's uh, written, I think shortly after the uh, release of C, the previous novel to this, such is the new type of accelerationist intellectuals, stylus masturbation with no ejaculation combined with opportune logistics, uh, okay, propelled. wait, can we just break it down? Because that says a lot about how he views, like, masturbation. Which, like, that gives me pictures and I don't want them. But I can see um, what he means of, like, the stylishness or, like, the mm. first thing he wrote. Mm. Because, yeah, he's just, like, throwing all this shit into a book. But it's like he's not even taking the time to really write the book. And I'm like, why should I read if you don't want to write? I can... I, I don't think it's entirely... I, I also don't kind of think it's... Um, fair this proto sentence thing like i think there's one section like i was doing preparing for this earlier today and it was it's on page 98 where he talks about the experience of the parachutist um realizing their shoots not opening and i think that has way more like complexity and richness in the language than is being given credit for where it says um the final spur that won the, car- the one that carried skydivers across the threshold out into the abyss was faith. Faith that it all, the system in its boundless, unquantifiable entirety, worked. That they'd be gathered up and saved. For this man, though, the victim, that system, its whole fabric had unraveled. That, and not his death, was the catastrophe that had befallen him. 
we're all going to die. There's nothing so disastrous about that, nothing in its ineluctability that undermines the structure of our being. But for the faith, the blind, absolute faith into whose arms he had entrusted his entrance, from whose mouth he'd sought a whispered affirmation of its very possibility, for that to suddenly be plucked away, that must have been atrocious. I think that says something quite interesting in quite an interesting way. What I think it says that is interesting is that we are more attached to the world around us in, in the way that we understand it than, than our actual physical existence. I think there's some truth to that, which is interesting. I think he says lots of interesting things. Um, but to me, the book it reminded me of was uh, Alexandra Kleeman's You Too Can Have a Body Like Mine. Um, when I was reading this the first time, I, I kept comparing it mm. to that one, first of all, because I just read it. Um, <laughs> and second of all, because I think there are a lot of similarities. And I f it seems to me that they have sort of the same project going on with trying to sort of diagnose the, the ills of the modern age and meaninglessness and meaning and systems and theory. Mm -hmm. I actually think she was, she did it in a more interesting way because she didn't tackle it sort of head on. She did the sort of use the phrase um, that she was a background character in her mm. story, the, the main character. Mm. Um, and compared to this, I think that's much more interesting because she doesn't sort of, she's not the one to sort of put meaning back into the world as you thinks he does. She just goes on her own mission to find some meaning and, and sort of figure it mm. out for herself what she's doing. And where you in this book, I don't know, it seems too... It seems too grand. It seems too... I think that's the point. Yeah, I, I, it's fine that it's the point. It's just, I don't think it's very interesting. I think you two mm. can have a body like mine is more interesting. <laughs> you, you're warming to that book. I'm warming to that one after having read this one. But now I'm wondering, because Sarah and I don't like this book, mm. and you guys do, is it very gendered, the writing? Because like I would, like, uh, I would say I like you two can have a body like mine more. Uh, if we compare them, and perhaps it's an account of the narrator. Maybe she's easier to recognize. Or, I don't know. Uh, but is there anything gendered to this writing? I don't. I mean, if I don't think. So. I mean, I think it, there's. If there was going to be something macho about it, it is this kind of declarative way. This notion that you can kind of like devoid, like make the central characters avoid in a very profound way. Like, mm. and you do. You, you used to have a body like mine. Um, the character, for all of her lack of interesting traits, was just like totally basic, and that's like a personality type. And but also like she this, wants to become herself through this, right? He mm. wants to write the fucking great report all the yeah. time. Um, it's his job, it's his career, um, which is and what I, th I think very old fashioned yeah. and macho. And, and also the the whole point of his his narrative seems mm. to be that he realizes that he can't do this, um, which it's. Well, of course you can't. And it ends up upsetting him, right? He becomes like almost disoriented. Yeah, like he basically has a like, breakdown. What should I do yeah. now? Yeah. And it's the same with the main character and you two can have a buddy like mine, but that's because she can't become herself, which yeah. she wants to do. Mm. Yeah. But then, I mean, the, the danger of it, I'm not going to say it's gendered as such, it, but I think that the, I think certainly the presentation is gendered, yes. The presentation is a kind of macho traditional Thing. And I don't think that's a problem. I think that's just like what sort of asshole would try to go about this project. It would be a man. <laughs> <laughs> a white middle class man yeah. in his early 40s. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Disillusioned with uh, both academia and the private sector. 
But it given, wasn't, yeah. yeah, sorry, it wasn't that it was a problem. I was mm, just no. wondering. Yeah. But maybe in this blank slate thing, if we have the neutral perspective being the male perspective, then yeah, if he the takes point. nothing, then we can kind of project something into it. But you see the lack <laughs> mm. more in a way. I mean, I think no one can really identify with this main character as a person because he really isn't a person. <laughs> no. But you can maybe identify with his, like he has no emotions at all. Like his best friend is dying of cancer and all he can muster up is shit. Yeah, the <laughs> windows are dirty. <laughs> yeah, he just does not give a fuck. Yeah, I, was, uh, I, I was thinking a bit about uh, Madison because we have you always being really precise in his name dropping and everything. And then they're talking about Turin and Madison is like, who was it, that philosopher, was it Schopenhauer or Nietzsche or Kierkegaard who uh, like saw a horse uh, being beaten in Turin and lost his mind? And then you comes in and it's like, it was Nietzsche. And she's like, yeah, whatever, it doesn't matter. <laughs> she goes to the point of the story. It's like there's some suffering that you see and it affects you. Mm. And she kind of sees uh, parallels in her story there. But she keeps bringing up Kierkegaard <laughs> as mm. the one like the philosopher of faith, which also like that's mm. the thing that the parachutist holds on to. Mm. And then you lose that and it seems like you loses this faith mm. in the end. I don't know, maybe I mean, he loses, there's something yeah. in that. Like Nietzsche was the one who like you can just be yeah. kind of the ubermensch mm. and create all this meaning for yourself. Mm. And then he loses his mind. Yeah. But Kierkegaard is the one that like you have to like rest completely in faith for anything to make sense. And that's something that we can't do anymore. And maybe that's why he gets fascinated by the uh, yeah. skydivers, because that's what they do. Okay. In that's, a way. That's really interesting. <laughs> that is, <laughs> do you yeah. anything? That makes a lot of sense, because also, yeah. Cause it, then we have the, also, because there's two main characters, mm -hmm. and Madison doesn't seem to make a lot of sense in a way. You can read it as just her being there so you get out of his head for a second. <laughs> like, because if yeah. you cut all like his best friend and Madison out of there, this would be a horrible book. Because it would just be a guy engaging in intellectual masturbation. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am, um, yeah, I'd forgotten so much. Like, he, he was so unaffected by his best friend's death that I'd forgotten that taking place until I started <laughs> to study up for this thing. But I think that point about the faith is really important, especially, and, and, and that's like a side effect of everything already being written down. Like, if the world is already documented, you can't have faith in everything because everything is evidenced. And that stops there being faith. And it's really interesting that by rejecting the information that, no, it was Nietzsche who saw the horse being whipped, she's rejecting, like, the, f the fixing of the information and she's just holding on to the story and the faith that gives her in, some, in, in that relationship of suffering. And then that's, yeah, great. <laughs> That's that level in that book too. <laughs> and also in the torture scene with Madison, she is able to somehow connect to someone. She's the only one who does that with her torture. That's also uh, the whole Kierkegaard thing. Yeah. Just like Michael Francis has talked <laughs> about. Whereas you is just like nothing really holds his interest for long. He kind of is just a foot soldier of this cult, the payment cult, <laughs> mm. which is just phrases thrown out and then everybody believes they're meaningful in virtue of I don't know what. Yeah. <laughs> and, and in that sense, uh, like the fact that he doesn't go all the way, he's just throwing this out, all these theories and tangents and whatever. It just it becomes meaningless and he's trying to, in a way. <laughs> like he says he's creating meaning, but in the end that's also meaningless because he just moves on to the next thing. It's just used to sell stuff. Mm. 
two people. But what about the big, the Coop Sassen project? <laughs> this, is, this is the grand report, isn't it? Oh, yeah, but the project yeah. itself is much bigger than just the grand report. I've, I've lost track of all these reports. There's okay. the one report yeah. which he's asked <laughs> to write. And that's just yeah. when he's hired. Yeah. Then it's just like, I want you to, like, when you're not working on a specific project, hmm. work on the grand report. But then they get the deal, and the Coop Session project is something that goes beyond governments and everything. It's supposed to be everywhere and yeah. invisible and somehow be woven into our fabric. That's completely. That's very <laughs> conspiratorial in a way. I mean, I mean, what well, is yeah? It and it is funny also. Like between the levels of name dropping and stuff that goes on, it's not like there are accounts of the corporate applications of the theories of the losing Guattari and the and accounts of them being used by military forces in particular in Israel and things like that. Where you, you just, where it's just like how you just like disseminate this fairly obscure stuff into, and then also like. When you read about the things like the CIA sponsoring the development of abstract expressionism in the US, like that's the reason that's an art movement is to win a propaganda war against the Soviet Union to a large extent. That is the Coop Sassen project, which is apparently book backwards, which is lame. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also the name of an, a video artist. Yes, the Sassen bit, or the Coop Sassen. The, the Coop Sassen <laughs> is the name of a video artist, and his mother is an anthropologist or a sociologist or something. And then there's also this part where he has, like, he thinks that once he's written down Satin Island, which comes to him in a dream on his, like, blotting paper on his desk. Mm. Uh, then he's like, there's a coffee stain connecting the S's in both words, which is just like a random connection between mm. the two. And in the end, when he's uh, standing in front of the Staten Island Ferry sign and rearranging the letters, one of those is stain as well. Mm. So it just seems to me that like all this intellectual masturbation, it's just drawing random connections. Mm. And without faith, like there's nothing to hold it together or really give it any more meaning. Mm. If we're just playing this game all the time, yeah. trying to find meaning in a meaningless world, whatever. Like That's not going to yield anything. So it's like he's taken the... He's, been, he's able to critique the like ridiculous information flow of the world all the time and think that with his access to what the um, paranoid critical methodology of Dali, he can just put things together and then find the new meanings coming out of it. But then he's just realizing he's just actually... He's not, no, he doesn't realize anything. He's just engaging in the same flow of random material as as anyone else but just he's being paid to weave a thread between it mm-hmm. uh the great report he has to write yeah. is it the great report of our time or is it just the great report now of our time of our time yeah. this is the book we're reading right that was how i got it that yeah, yeah i mean the... it's ended up as certain island this is the great report of our yeah. time yeah, yeah, yeah. on the back it's crossed out that it's a report ah <laughs> uh, okay like I treat this as an essay, a confession, a manifesto, a report are all crossed out and then what's left is a novel. Mm. And there's always this thing about the great report finding its shape. Mm. And then he... So it's also a novel he's about starts... writing a novel in a lot of ways. You have this project and that can be write, like writing a book, right? Mm. And as an author, you're yeah. constantly distracted and you have to decide to do this. And, and you're always trying to write the great novel of yeah. the great new American novel, mm-hmm. the great new... European novel. Yeah, and it's ended up, he's having to take a step back from the report to novel. And he's also like, he's he's casting, 
the anthropologist and the and the writer, the novelist, as very similar kinds of beings. Like he's talking in the opening thing about basically, which I was saying earlier on, that he, it's this um, capacity to make a coherent story. It's like the, it's like by giving it a form, by giving it a shape, it asserts a, a, maybe a kind of faith that this connection mm-hmm. is important. But then again, what stuck out when I read it again was that he says like. One evening, a few years ago, I was talking to Turin. So he's actually reflecting back on everything. Like he's giving up on the project in a way. So I think like maybe we shouldn't read this as the great report, but about the impossibility of it. Like take it more at face value. Mm-hmm. It's just in light of this in one two, one evening a few years ago. <laughs> so he's talking about his time there when like he finally thought he had the grand report. Uh, and then found out that it was impossible. <laughs> so I don't know if that affects it in in a way. And then maybe a few years later, he takes up the yeah. task and is like, okay, maybe it has to be like this, and you can't take everything into it. I mean, I think I found myself when I was reading it. I found myself like knowing I was definitely missing quite a lot, and I because I also found the book quite hard work to read. And I remember like taking having to take kind of regular breaks because I found something very dense. And so I'm th- like so details like that, like the like the, the the time frame that we're operating in, just completely went over my head. <laughs> um, I don't know. I thought it was like first I just blazed through it. I mm-hmm. uh, just thought it was pretty funny, actually, in a kind of satirical way, and that mm-hmm. you have the Steve Job, Elon Musk character, mm, the payment, yeah, the payment <laughs> guy, uh, and I just thought it was poking fun and like taking the shit out of <laughs> everyone. <laughs> In a way, yeah. that it was a big middle finger, as you say. <laughs> the you. <laughs> Fuck you. It's his name. I don't know. So I, don't know. I wasn't yeah. so like yeah. put off by the smugness. Because I felt he was yeah, no, making I don't, yeah. fun of those smug, smug people. <laughs> like the Guardian <laughs> <laughs> reviewers. And, I, I didn't, know. yeah. I think when I first read it, I found it between, like, awesome between like being dense and being smug. Mm. And now, like going back over it again, I actually think it's more interesting than I gave it credit for. Um, profound apathy on the other side of the room is getting. <laughs> well, it's kind of weird because <clears throat> I like it a more, lot more when we talk about it than when I read it. Mm. But I would not read it again. Uh, um, I, I read it twice for this, and it was—I think it was the first book in a long time where I, I didn't get anything fresh out of it on the second reading. Yeah. Um, it was all just, yeah, you know. Uh, that probably says more about my intelligence than the book. <laughs> but also my, my humor probably because when the first time I read it, I didn't see it was funny at all. I was like, this is, this is, I can kind of sense that I think sometimes he's trying to be funny, but I don't, I don't know. It, it seemed kind of half-hearted. I read it very much as, right, so obviously he's making all these connections between disparate things, um, but it, I kept thinking about um, the author sitting there writing it, like looking up random facts on Wikipedia and thinking, this is profound, this means something, but I can't say exactly what it is. I'll just put it in the book and I'll put the two facts next to each other and I'll leave it to the reader (laughs) to figure out whatever it is that I mean. Yeah, and he's constructed his main character to be like that, right? Um, To like, But I'm just wondering why both of us so instinctively hate it. Mm. I mean, maybe it's the same as, like, some people you just can't talk to. And there's really nothing wrong with them, but, like, you have no common language. And, like, there's Mm. no way you can hold a conversation. 
uh, maybe it's the same with this book because there are things in it that I should like and mm. I should find it and I just don't yeah. <laughs> and I don't want to read it again yeah. and I'm not missing it and I even I don't even have FOMO that Snorri got so much out of it and, I didn't. <laughs> um, and there are things when he's for example when the parachuter dies. Uh, he's like uh, wandering in his head and he goes like off into some uh, thing about like the space and how the person died and he's talking to himself or like thinking about this like wow the space as a crime scene uh, mm. in between um, mm -hmm. plane and, mm. and ground and I was like no Mm. No. Yeah, same. It's not a crime scene yeah. because he didn't die in the space. Exactly. And, and I see what you're doing that he yeah, wasn't yeah. tampered with yeah. his parachute in space. <laughs> no. But in I that, exact in that part, he also does this super, like he says like, uh, the crime scene was the sky. And then he like tries to sound smart by saying, well, maybe the sky is a crime scene. As if that is supposed to like mm. give you some mm. insight or something. Mm. Yeah. And I thought this was just like the TED Talks where they like yeah. switch yeah. it around yeah. and the but slides go. And he has this big dream mm. about like having this and he's imagining, yeah, he's giving, he earlier in the book, he gives a talk that just totally fails because mm. nothing was formed and he wasn't saying anything. But, yeah. and then he has this like imaginary sequence of, him like giving this great lecture and everybody mm. applauding and then he which like, is very recognizable right yeah, when you're yeah. lying in your bed or going for a walk yeah. alone you totally know what to say you know what to do this is going to be yeah, fine yeah, yeah. and it isn't exactly and then someone like objects like a character he doesn't like at the airport in the beginning like makes this objection and then he like oh but it was you who brought up the word aesthetics wasn't it and it's just it's this longing to be clever or thinking that you're clever that mm. i think is just kind of So that's the, like, the whole satirical level on it. Yeah. yeah. That's what I, why I thought it was so funny. <laughs> you know? Yeah, but I only got that the second time that it was actually supposed to be funny. And then yeah. I thought that that would make me enjoy the book. Like, oh, this is, oh, right, I see what you're yeah. doing. And I was just like, no, it still sort of falls flat. And I think to me, I did some reading up on Tom McCarthy, and apparently he's also an artist. Mm. He's formed the International Necronautical Society. <laughs> and <laughs> and um, yeah, I picked up on a few references to art and stuff. And I study art, and I'm not sure why I don't like a lot of art. <laughs> But I think that has to do with why I don't like this book. Like, I could clearly... It, it read a lot like an artist's statement, um, mm. where they sort of explain what they're doing and the impossibility of mm. doing whatever it is they want to explore. And here are some works that show you why everything that I've been thinking about... Um, doesn't work like it read as a sort of for me a translation of all this this is what I want to do I can't do it here's, here's this flat work of art and at the same time there's no like great revelation the book isn't telling us anything that we didn't really know before I feel about this impossibility or anything he just presents it in what I feel is a clever and funny yeah. and interesting way but he's given like more like he's traced more of the outlines of the impossibility if that means anything somehow he's given it maybe <laughs> yeah. uh <laughs> yeah like it's finding its shape in a way and he's like i think yeah but yeah. it's nothing i think that one thing that comes up is like when he's talking about when he talks about oil <laughs> which is quite a lot in the book <laughs> yeah but when he talks about it um i think uh, quite a bit later on he's talking about the the covered shorelines becoming the sort of oneness converting into binary and then and then they're being like not covered with oil and covered with oil and then the kind of flattening of everything into that space that it sort of talks about like the kind of 
what the nature of what oil is being so all this kind of life that's been compressed into this substance that will kill everything kind of says that to get to what he wants to talk about with the whole ground report means he's going to it's not going to be in words that um that we understand because it is there's too much our frame of reference is too much like the creatures that were compressed into making oil and that's now so far be, like there's there's too much going on in this entire in this in this field of vision for one to be able to articulate what's actually going on in a way that is comprehensible to other people and i i think that gave more shape to the problem than just saying this is still a problem Mm. But I should probably find a way to say that as a sentence. <laughs> <laughs> the existence of oil tells you there's way too many. There's too much time. There's too much time involved. There's too many creatures involved. We're, we're, we live in in networks of electricity which is being powered by burning dinosaurs. That is a nonsense. That is, we, we I can say that as a statement, but that means nothing as a statement, you know. But it's actually quite a profound thing that we live in a world where we have like, oh no, the evil oil spill is going to destroy us all, but. That's as as natural a part of this planet as as those beautiful flowers and lilies and stuff. Mm. It's and we can't get our head around that because we're creatures that really prefer things not to be covered in oil because it kills us. But we also need it, and that's not something that we can properly cope with. And I think he lays out the shape of that to me, which at least makes sense to me. And one day, a sentence will come from me, the grand sentence I'll call it. <laughs> I'll share it with you all. I, yeah, I agree that he mentioned some interesting things, and he, he did mention some interesting ideas mm. um, that I hadn't come across, but I feel like they were all kind of smothered in all this other stuff. Oil. that In oil. <laughs> but that's too neat. <laughs> so no oil. Yeah, I, I feel like all the, the really interesting parts were sort of covered in a lot of form and in a lot of repetition, which I've since found out is his style, and that still doesn't make it good to me. Like, it, it's fine that he's keen on repetition, but it's that doesn't make it... It still ruins the sentences for me. I don't. Yeah, but that's... Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I, that's I, my I, problem with the whole book. Like, I, I see like, what you're doing, but I don't... It doesn't... And it's not even that I have a problem with it being irritating. Like mm. sometimes that's wonderful mm. to be infuriated by something you're reading. But ah, uh, I just ah uh, was my maybe it's the thing that it's it's very consistent with itself, right? The mm. format, the writing, the sentences, the or like the structures. Yeah. So maybe it's very much a book like take it or leave it, uh, because it yeah is so consistent with itself and not like going off and like. One direction for yeah. half of the book, or like, yeah. You have to one hundred percent accept it at f face value, what it is and what it's offering you. I don't know. You can read into it and find loads of different stuff in it. Snorri did. <laughs> <laughs> but I also came into it uh, not just with an open mind, but I was excited to read it. I'd read one of his earlier works, Remainder, which I liked a lot, and has the same kind of affectless character. Uh, so I was excited for it. I was looking, like, mm. I ordered it, I think. Mm. And then it came in, and I was like, okay, I'm going to read this. This is going to be great. And then the first time I go through, I'm just like, ah, oh, this is funny. He's so clever. But then again, he's poking fun at clever people. So, But, I mean, if you just give it to someone with nothing, I don't know if that affects it I'd also well. heard of Remainder, and I'd heard great things about it. Um, and... Yeah, I think that may have been part of why I was so disappointed because Remainder was supposed to be amazing and this was just, it was okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But what I meant was that 
not that you couldn't get anything out of it or mm. like read anything out of it, but it just has such a distinct tone. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that maybe if you're put off by that, like yeah. I was, yeah. then the book becomes mm. really hard to mm. read. Mm. Um, yeah, the tone was a problem for me when <clears> I was reading it. I think it's what happened to me because I read it the first time a while ago. And it happened to me also when I read uh, Mao Tzu, the Don DeLillo book. And I remember reading that going like, oh, this is hard work to get through all these clever points that you're having. Um, and you know that they're clever points. And I had a similar sensation reading this. I thought, okay, this stuff about, yeah, genes, it's funny. But subsequently, like the images it's produced in my head and same with the map with Mao Tzu, the DeLillo book, they, they have, they infect my thinking in a good way, I think. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I think... I think I'm going to find this a more useful book than perhaps enjoyable. Uh-huh, yeah. Um, certainly with lots of things I'm thinking about now. So can anyone think, can it be at least be a useful book to anybody around the table? Is that the... Yeah, host? no, I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't, um, I don't, <laughs> I don't mean to say that this is a terrible book. Mm. Um, this is different. Yeah. That's the thing, maybe yeah. what you're getting at is like, the book isn't necessarily bad, but then like, you can separate that from the question of whether you like it or not. Yeah. Uh, I think it's, yeah, it, it is a bit monotonous mm. in a way. Kind of like Krautrock, German thing where it's just like the same beat going on for 20 minutes. But if you really like that beat, then <laughs> you're going to love that song. If, if not, then it's be a good 20 minutes. Not. I don't know. I also have to say, I listen to the audiobook as well. Oh, yeah? Because at work, I listen to a lot of audiobooks. And this is probably the best audiobook I've listened to as well. Because the actor who reads it actually brings in, he kind of makes more of the text in a way by bringing in, like speeding up when the character is excited. So it's interpreted in a way for you, which I didn't necessarily get so much from the text. Like when he's excited and going on, then he speeds up and then he slows down. And when he's reading and with Madison, then like he really lowers his way. You can barely hear what he says. And then it's like Madison trailed off. So that maybe counteracts the monotony yeah. a bit. There's also been a short film made. Oh, yeah, the, yeah, the Newsnight thing. No, not that one. Oh. It was because uh, you, you sent us earlier this, uh, what was a London Review of Books special edition. Oh, yeah. Uh, and you said, like, this maybe is, uh, that cover is black with yeah. three photographs. The skydiver. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you were saying this is maybe more representative of how hard a read it is. But I also felt like the colors on the normal cover also uh, says like it might be fun. Actually, I thought that the that the London Review of Books binding with the kind of this guy, I think that highlighted to me like what I think is more interesting now having like studied up on this is there's this sadness and tragedy to everything. Mm -hmm. Like he like this guy is constantly defeated by his own hubris all the way through. And not only that, but as he's being defeated, that means that he is unable to do anything about this complex and destructive world. See, but even that irritates me because he mentions the Greek tragedy in the beginning and I'm yeah. like, oh, okay, so obviously this, this hubris thing has to do with that and it's just, ah, it's too neat. It's not that neat. It's quite baggy in places. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like every, every time he like mentions... Um, skydiving or oil yeah. or anything like he'll bring in other images and say how they're similar and then he'll make a, he'll make a metaphor later that has to do with that same image I can't give you but any that's examples also, no, 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 no. but that's also the neatness of just tying jeans and Deleuze together to just <laughs> get rid of all the political crap uh, you got the folds and then yeah. you got the rips and the pariu 
and all that. That's also too neat. All this clever stuff that we're being fed with is way too neat. From so, the book or from... Like all around us. It's mm. always like, ah, oh, this great insight. Just TED Talks are way too neat. And I think this somehow, maybe the style as well. Mm. I, I, I read it in such a way that he's also poking fun. Yeah, 100%. I read that he's poking fun yeah. of everything, but I just because it's... I just Same feel it as saturates the whole thing in the way that he's very neat and the way he writes it also reflects on the neatness mm. of the topic and what he's criticizing. Yeah, but I don't think that necessarily no. makes it... Like, I see what he's doing, but I don't yeah. think that makes it better. Like, well, maybe it does make it better, yeah. but I don't enjoy it no. because it's <laughs> just because he's done that. Like, I don't okay. know. It, it, feels, it, yeah. it feels like there's missing, like, some grace or some creative inspiration or just anything that is outside of the the format that he set down. Mm. Just something other. I don't know what. Yeah, I, I think I know the feeling you're talking about. Yeah. I think there's that, well, I mean, the, the simple way of putting that is it's very cerebral. <laughs> it lacks that kind of that je ne sais quoi the romance that we call artworks mm. which I'm also loath to say is required by artworks I'm, I don't say I don't yeah. mean I for don't, it to be required no no no, no I'm not but saying I, that you do, I really but, yeah. enjoy it <laughs> but that's the thing is like, like it's it's um Maybe the problem actually is that you're, you're kind of like irritated by your own intelligence. Because <laughs> like you notice that tragedy thing up front and the overall tragic thing. You're like, oh, bravo. I can see the pattern. <laughs> but also because I think my problem was that I read the afterword that he wrote. Like oh, I... His acknowledgments where he said, oh, and everyone, I'll find it. Uh, Saturn Island, like all books, contains hundreds of borrowings, echoes, remixes, and straight repetitions. To list them all would take up as much space as the text itself. The critical reader can entertain him or herself tracking some of them down if he or she is that way inclined. Okay, so yeah, you you made the mistake of reading. Yeah, I shouldn't. If, if I hadn't read that, I think I would have been better off. Because <laughs> that's, that's wanky. It is. <laughs> yeah. um, does anyone have anything else they want to add? I want to say that it was, I liked it a lot more after we talked about it. And I think Snorri's points were really good. And I'm really glad that I got to hear it because otherwise I would have, like. Organized the burning? <laughs> <laughs> not, not in this climate, <laughs> though, surely. <laughs> I'm also impressed with Snorri's points because as I remember it, that takes up one page of the book. <laughs> <laughs> and from that, the entire thing, it's so neat that it's actually all on one page. The <laughs> Okay, so I guess we're going to do some uh, recommendations. Uh, Snorri, I think we kind of know. Well, you, uh, would you recommend this book? Yeah, definitely. I recommend it to you. Yeah. So, yeah, us um, being here is... Snorri's work. Shows that. Snorri's doing... Showing that already that I recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> so no caveats to that, just... Uh, if it sounds good after listening to this, then read it. <laughs> if not, then just read something else. <laughs> and Gio, how about you? No. <laughs> even, even after the, the unfurling of it. I would recommend Snorri. <laughs> not the book. <laughs> Glad to hear. Sarah. I like to be a contrarian, so I would recommend uh, You Two Can Have a Body Like Mine by Alexandra Kleeman. <laughs> Which you didn't like either. <laughs> you, After you, having read this. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I'm, but as a genuine recommendation, it was a kind of a sarcastic No, stuff. honestly, um, I really want to go back and reread it now because there were so many similarities. <laughs> <laughs> uh, see, but this is, this is why I think, like, my recommendation of this book is carried with the thing of, like, 
read it, and then just let it be in your brain <laughs> when you eventually see some footage of an oil spill and go like, huh, yeah, I don't know what the fuck this means. I think I think what Sarah was saying, like this mo- book makes you want to read something else. <laughs> <laughs> something, I honestly didn't so, mean that as a diss. I'm just <laughs> such a salty person that everything yeah. I say sounds like a something. She's yeah. on like the record, like yeah. talking for 35 minutes about how much she disliked. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I, I think I think it's good. Um, I think there's more to it than I've found. Um, I'm going to probably read one of his other books. Um, so I would probably recommend this to people who also the stuff about buffering is just funny. Yeah, but you can just watch the YouTube video. Yeah, yeah. If, if you ain't got time, yeah. if you ain't got time, saturate yourself with images. But it's also it's a very short book. I yeah. think it's you can just go through it and enjoy it. I wish it was shorter also, when I read it, mm, especially the short. last chapter. Ah, takes a few, few hours. <laughs> oh, it's me a wrestle here. Anyway, um, so I'm gonna throw over to Sarah now, who's gonna tell us about her pick for next month. Next month. We're going to read Black Ass or Black Ass. Black Ass is Black Ass. Yeah, yeah. Right. Spelled. Yeah, but also you're from the north. You're from South Africa. <laughs> no, I'm in not. This, in this context. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to be reading Black Ass by A. Goni Barrett. And uh, it's. Gio, you should read uh, some Kafka before then because it's based on. or it's inspired by Kafka's Metamorphosis. Now they tell me. <laughs> um. <laughs> <laughs> Those eyes looking for a way out. <laughs> that was terrifying. Um, it's a short story, though. It's fine. You can also just read Kafka for the Google Age or yeah, Kafka yeah, for yeah, the iPhone generation. You know, who needs to read <laughs> Kafka anymore? We've got 10 of them now. <laughs> and we're going to be joined by Tim Spangsberg. Great. Well, thanks, everybody. I think I've definitely learned stuff. One of them is make sure you have all the pages you printed to reference to. But thanks. Like Thank lessons. <laughs> <laughs> oh.